Okay. Um, well, let's open in a word of prayer, and we'll uh, and we'll jump in and get uh, get going. Lord, thanks for this morning, and uh, for our time together, and and for our, our folks here and those that aren't. Uh, Lord, pray that you be with them, and thank you for the time to come together to study. And I pray that uh, time would be fruitful in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, what we're going to do today. Uh, is um, we've been we've been going through the book of Revelation. If you haven't, this is your first week. Like two weeks ago, uh, if you were here for the first time, we started with the last chapter of the Bible. <laughs> um, but we are um, we're in the book of Revelation, uh, and uh, but I want to take some time to talk through kind of the the, the different views, different approaches, I guess, uh, and kind of how people get there. What are the different working parts, um, you know, in the uh, end time discussion? That Everybody tracking, does that make sense? Um, there is, um, there is, agree, there is total agreement in orthodoxy and what Christianity has always considered as orthodox uh, in the resurrection of believers, okay? You don't hear a lot about that, seems like, anymore in churches. Um, I think churches tend to think that you die and you go to heaven, and I don't know, um, and that's it. You float around as angels or something. I don't know what, what happens. Play cloud golf or, you, um, you know, there's a lot of that type of thinking. Uh, but that is not, uh, that's not Christian. It's not the end of the story. And so, orthodoxy has always been a resurrection of not only Christ, but bodily resurrection of believers in the new heavens and new earth. Okay? And so there is absolute agreement on that across the board. Um, uh, tell me what, you, what you've heard, or what when you hear end times or talk of the return of Christ, or what are some of the things that you've heard? Okay, premillennial. All right, so let's write some of this stuff. Down. All right, premillennial. Uh, pre mill. Ah mill. Post mill. Okay. All right. What else? One general resurrection. One at the end of everything. Yeah, and so so. Um, uh, tribulation, tribulation period, um, Satan bound, um, rapture, and the timing of it, and, and you basically have uh, Timing uh, that is pre. I don't know if y'all can see this. Um, y'all can see them. Pre, mid, and post. Pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture. Uh, millennial kingdom. That deals with this. Um, uh, judgment seat of Christ. This, this is more what you're talking about. The judgment seat of Christ. Of Christ, and then there's the white throne judgment. 
white throne judgment. Are those the same? Are they different? Um, what else? Anything else? Church age. Church age. Yeah, church age. You'll hear uh, things like historic premillennialism, dispensationalism, amillennialism. There's a lot of big, you know, $3 words out there. Um, that, um, so let's, let's sort all of this, uh, this out. Okay. Um, I guess in my, in my mind, um, and all of this, we're going to, to talk about all this, we need, we need to talk about some church history stuff as well. Okay. Um, remember that, um, that when you go back into the old Testament times, um, Israel is a nation. Uh, they take the land in 1406 BC. Okay? So, you know, Moses' birth is 1526, something like that. So if you're just thinking Moses, general numbers, if you think Moses 1500, that gets you in the ballpark. If you think Abraham 2000 BC, that gets you in the ballpark. It's actually, he's actually born in 2166, but who cares about being that close. Um, um, and then if you think King David, think a thousand. Okay, so 2,000 Abraham, 1,500 Moses, uh, 1,000 King David. Okay. In 722, uh, the Assyrian army, uh, the Assyrians come down and attack uh, the northern kingdom and haul them off into they're dispersed among the, actually, they're, they're dispersed among the nation. Um, this is what uh, the judgment that is talked about in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy chapter 28, talking about Israel being dispersed among the nation. And that word dispersed is going to show up in the New Testament, often when it's talking about Jewish believers, okay? Uh, Book of James writes to the twelve tribes dispersed. Greetings, diaspora. Um, in First Peter, it's translated differently. It's translated as scattered. That's what the word actually means: dispersed or scattered. Uh, uh, to those who are dispersed or, or scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, these are Jewish believers who've been scattered. Uh, this goes back to 722 BC. Um, Sennacherib is the king of Assyria. In 701, uh, he actually surrounds the city of Jerusalem. And this is the southern kingdom. This is Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is uh, the king of, of Judah, which really it's just down to one, one little town now, Jerusalem. Uh, and the, you, you might remember this story. Uh, the, the army surrounds uh, Jerusalem, um, Isaiah is one of the prophets at the time. He meets with Hezekiah. Hezekiah cries out to the Lord, and the angel of the Lord goes to Sennacherib's army and uh, and sends them back to um, back to Assyria. That's 701. Roughly a hundred years later, um, 605. Um, 
if you, if you think about uh, the ancient Near East, if you think about Old Testament times, okay, and you're looking at a map, so let's just do a little visual map here. Let's say here is, is Israel, okay? We'll, we'll try to do this backwards. Uh, so up there <laughs> would be uh, the, uh, Egypt, okay? Uh, no, down there. Man, I'm flipping backwards and upside down. Uh, down there uh, would, be, uh, would be Egypt. Okay, um, upper and lower, yeah, but I've got all this, uh, this stuff here that people want. Okay, so I'll do it in red, how about in red? Um, we'll do it in green, here's why. Uh, we'll do a color, uh, color uh, picture. Okay, so so basically, uh, your Israel sits here, okay? Uh, the Nile, here, right, uh, and uh, then there's this, what we call Fertile Crescent, and it kind of looks like this. this, is why they call it the Fertile Crescent, okay? Uh, the Tigris and the Euphrates run down here, and Babylon, uh, Babylon is here, Assyria, uh, Assyria is here, Assyria. I got everything switched around this morning, okay? Um, Greece, Rome are going to be this way. The Medes and the Persians are going to be that way. Okay? But when you think about the uh, ancient Near East, you think Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. Okay? Uh, whenever all three of these were weak, Israel was strong. When, uh, when uh, Israel was disobedient, the Lord would strengthen one of those and bring them to judge. Uh, to judge. So, so Babylon and Assyria, they've got a long history together. Um, as is throughout the Near East. These people have been fighting about from, uh, you know, day seven, uh, the Lord rested, and day eight, they started fighting, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty quick after that, right? Um, uh, and so, uh, actually, what happened was Assyria was, uh, during the time when, when uh, uh, Sennacherib came down and was, uh, was controlling all the way down to Egypt. That's used, That's what they're doing. The trade routes are running right through uh, through Israel. That's why it matters. Because if you go this way, uh, that's the that's the desert, and you don't make it. Okay. So you stay along the river, along the King's Highway, and there's the trade highway go that way. And um, uh, and so it was very important that who controlled this middle land of Israel in between these world powers. Uh, Sennacherib uh, dies, his, uh, he, uh, the kingdom, basically, uh, king here sends one of his sons down here, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar rises to power and kills him. Uh, and so then, uh, um, Babylon is getting strong. Uh, this is too much, probably, if you're a history buff. Um, Assyria is getting weak, uh, and uh, in 611, Nineveh falls. Uh, you know Nineveh. Um, book of Nahum, uh, Nahum, the prophet, prophesies about uh, Nineveh, 6, uh, 613, 611, 609, then Haran falls, uh, and then 605, 
King Nebuchadnezzar and his army have made it all the way down to Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, and they subdue Jerusalem. And this is when Daniel the prophet is hauled out of Jerusalem. <clears throat> Babylon is going to come in, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in three ways. In 605, in 597, and then in 586. And in 586, he destroys the city. Why do I mention all that? Because 586 is the end of ever seeing Israel on a map. The people were extinct among the nations, and it's not until 1948 that Israel shows back up on a map. Okay. So you're looking about 2,500 years. That's a pretty good chunk of time. Okay. Why does that matter? Because the Old Testament prophets, all of them, are writing about a, um, a future restoration um, a future restoration of the people to the land. Okay. Israel will be a nation again. Christ comes, Israel rejects, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. You know that part of the story. Um, as the church begins to progress, and remember, increasingly these are Gentiles. Okay. Uh, what do most Gentiles have in common? They don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything about the Old Testament. So if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, join the crowd. You're your typical Gentile, okay? Um, you believed in Jesus, you read the Gospel of John, now what? Okay, that's basically about, about it. Uh, and so the church, the, uh, you know, let's say third century, um, is reading the New Testament books, particularly um, books like First Peter, Book of Hebrews, uh, and even James, although not, not as much James. And they're trying to make sense. It's 11 o'clock. Even the Gospels, trying to make sense of the New Testament writers talking about these Old Testament promises that were given to Israel in the Old Testament, yet were being quoted as, as referring to the church. First Peter, you're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Okay? And so the church came to the conclusion, I think reasonable one, um, given that it's been 900 years since Israel was a nation at this point, uh, that, um, uh, uh, that the church has replaced Israel. Or the prompt better said, the promises made in the Old Testament to Israel were being fulfilled in the church. And so the way that you get there, you can't just read it plainly, okay? So they're saying, okay, there are promises in the Old Testament. Apparently these New Testament writers are saying they're being fulfilled in the church. So you can't just read it straight across. And so the, an allegorical uh, approach to the scriptures took hold. Uh, it was more theological and more allegorical. Um, and so what, what we're going to see when we look at some of this stuff is there is a continuation of that type of reading even till today, an allegorical reading. Uh, and that's going to get you your, your amillennial. Uh, uh, it's going to uh, relate to Satan being bound 
how they interpret the tribulation period and how they interpret the church age. Uh, all of that stuff is going to become relevant. Okay, so basically, this is how that line of reasoning goes. Um, there is no future for Israel as a nation. That um, the church has either replaced Israel. Some amillennials hold that. Who who would be amillennial um, denominations? Uh, historically, this it doesn't, of course, count everybody in the denomination. But historically, this would be the Catholic Church. This is where this allegorical reading began. Um, but those denominations that most closely are affiliated with breaking off from the Catholic Church. Uh, Lutheran, um, Presbyterian, Calvinist, Presbyterian, um, Methodist, even. Okay. Um, Would it be helpful to know what, where we stand first when we talk about it? No, not, not, not so much. So, so, um, um, so what they would so so how they deal with all this stuff is they would say that um, there is clearly a time when Satan is bound. Okay, this is Revelation chapter twenty. When is that? Well, since they don't hold to a literal interpretation of the tribulation period, they don't hold to a literal interpretation of thousand years of the reign of Christ. Okay? Uh, they hold uh, the way this amillennial system works is that. There is no uh, no millennial kingdom, okay? Uh, that the promises given to Israel are being fulfilled in the church now, uh, and Christ will uh, return. The church will be raptured at the same time as his return. So it's kind of a quick trip, right? Uh, believers go up, raptured, return right back down, uh, and... Uh, all judgment is done, the, the, whether it's a judgment seat of Christ or the white throne judgment, whatever you want to call it. All the judgment, everything is done at once, and um, the new heavens and new earth are created, and that's it. Okay. Well, it raises questions about the tribulation period. Well, they would say, in other words, if Christ returns, then the tribulation period has to happen sometime. They would say it's happening now. But they would also say that Satan is bound now. Um, yeah, with a really long chain. Um, um, and it, it, you know, and so it, you, you struggle, struggle to make sense of what, uh, for example, um, Paul would be meaning in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says this. Uh, in, during the church age, so they would say church age during the time of the church is also the time of tribulation, great tribulation, and it's also uh, when Satan is bound, but it's hard to make sense of, uh, of what uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 uh, when he says that, uh, and y'all, talking about the Gentiles, were dead in y'all's trespasses and sins in which y'all formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And so the prince of the power of the air who's working in the sons of disobedience, that's Satan currently working now. Okay. So how is Satan bound? Well, not bound really well. Okay. So the struggle for the amillennial 
approach to scripture. And really it's a hermeneutical approach. You know what I mean by hermeneutical? It's just how they're interpreted. They are, um, they're not, they're, they're saying that the scriptures are not to be read literally. Um, if you read the scriptures literally, you come to a different conclusion. Okay? And so they're read much more theologically. Okay, so you take your theology and you read your theology since Christ uh, has come, since the church has replaced Israel, then this is how we read the text. Okay. Does that make sense? So that's probably the, um, I think the church in its earliest, uh, the first couple hundred years of the church was was uh, certainly uh, more of a premillennial uh, view. Um, but as by about the third century, until maybe as late as the late 1800s, the church predominantly was amillennial, allegorical interpretation, okay? very theological. In, yes. yeah. Since then, um, so early in the church, and in, in the last, you know, couple hundred years at most, um, people have gone back and have read the Old Testament and have wondered about the language because it seems to be pretty specific. Okay. Um, in uh, Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, 31, uh, this is the New Covenant. This is the passage where we get the New Covenant, okay? Uh, you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the passage that predicts the New Testament. The problem is the New Testament was not promised to Gentiles. If you turn back to Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, of course, uh, you get to chapter 28. Uh, you get uh, Jer uh, Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, okay? Uh, you know a verse in 20, uh, I'm sorry, 29. You know a verse in chapter 29, okay? 29-11. I know the plans I have for you to go. Well, in 1 through 10, uh, this is Jeremiah's letter to Israel saying, um, you're going there for 70 years, so um, get used to it. Pray for that nation as it goes for them, so it will go for you. And at the end of 70 years, I will bring you back to this place. If, if of course, you repent, okay? Um, at the end of 70 years, they don't repent. Uh, but there's still this future uh, going back to the land. Chapter 30 starts to talk in pretty good depth in chapter 31 about Israel's restoration to the land, okay? Uh, you'll see some of these verses are even quoted in the, uh, throughout the New Testament. Uh, in chapter 31, verse 31, hold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the Gentiles. No, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them uh, by the hand and uh, to, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke. Okay, well, the fathers of the Gentiles are not the fathers of 
Israel, and the Gentiles were not brought out of Egypt. Okay? And the, the Gentiles didn't have a previous covenant with the Lord. So we're talking about the Mosaic covenant, the people of Israel brought out of the land of Egypt, the fathers, you know, Moses and and uh, and then of course you go back to the promises to the land, it's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, says it again, verse 33, in those days, or after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Um, um, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Okay, now, that brings in a whole slew of Old Testament passages. The book of Hosea, the book of Isaiah, uh, the book of uh, uh, Habakkuk, the book of Deuteronomy. Um, every single Old Testament prophet. Israel rejects the Lord. They reject the rock of his salvation. Uh, he disperses them among the nations. Then he will go to the Gentiles. And then when he sees their, their hope is gone, then he will call those who are not his people, his people. Ami. Uh, Hosea, you remember Hosea? Uh, the, the story of Hosea and Gomer. The Lord tells Hosea to go marry uh, this woman, Gomer, have children with her, um, uh, and uh, her first child is, is Yezreel, uh, God sows. Uh, second child is Lo-Ami, not to my people, and the third is Lo-Rahman, no compassion. But then uh, he will have compassion upon his people, and he will restore his people. Uh, you know a parable that Jesus tells that retells this same story. Okay? It's the parable of the lost son. Do you remember the parable of the lost son? The son goes, goes to a far off land. He suffers the judgments. He regards his father as dead. Then he, uh, because of the judgments, he comes to his senses and he says, here's what I will do. I will return to my father and I will say, father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Israel's called a son throughout the whole Old Testament. Um, and do you remember what the Lord, uh, what, the, what the Father does? The Father sees him, and he runs to him, and he had compassion upon him. Yeah. Um, same story. Uh, Jesus, in all of his parables, is always telling the stories of the Old Testament. And these aren't just, that's a nice story. No, it's a story that retells the Old Testament story. It makes his point, right? He's not just coming up with a story to justify what he's doing, he's telling a story that they would recognize from the Old Testament to explain why he's doing what he's doing. And so uh, this having compassion upon uh, these people again uh, and calling them my people again, now you're dealing with every prophet in the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament story, okay? And so it continues, uh, Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31. Um, and they will not teach again, uh, each man his neighbor, verse 34, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. And then verses 35, uh, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea, that its waves rule. The Lord of, of the hosts, the Lord of armies is his name, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, 
then the offspring of Israel, the seed of Israel, shall cease. The last time I checked, the sun came up this morning. Mm -hmm. And last night there were stars and go down to, you know, go to any ocean and the waves are still crashing on the sea. Well, then what do we conclude? Since you see that, then the Lord has not cut off his people. But if you, uh, you know, so then the, the, the offspring of Israel shall cease. Uh, from being a nation before me forever. You catch that? A nation. Now that word, in, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a, a very specific word. It's a goy. It's a, um, nations have land. Nations have government. Um, the church is not a nation. What says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured out and the foundation of the earth searched out, then I will cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done. There you go. Uh, what interests me, or what, what I think is, is um, contradictory in much of this amillennial view, is often amillennialism goes with covenant theology, and covenant <laughs> theology is um, five-point Calvinism. Now, one of the so five-point Calvinism, this probably more than you care to know. But there are five points, five things that they, they, uh, that they uh, claim. Um, uh, and, and the last one is the, the preservation of the saints, that, that you cannot lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Okay. And they bind this up or they connect this to God's character. God keeps his promises. Well, isn't that interesting that he keeps his promises to Gentiles, but he doesn't keep his promises to the Jews? Um, particularly when it says it specifically. Um, if the heavens can be measured out, I don't think any telescopes have seen the end of the heaven, or the foundations of the earth below. I was watching some show just flipping channels a few weeks ago, and they were saying that most of the ocean, they don't even know what's what's in it, right? Um, then I will cast off all of uh, the seed of Israel, all of the descendants of Israel, uh, for all that they have done. This whole story is about the redemption of these people. And we kind of get caught up in the crossfire, right? Because of their rejection, the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and this is how... Uh, it, it works out that God is going to keep his promises to Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was through Israel's rejection that the gospel has come to the Gentiles. Paul's going to say to make them jealous, to move them to anger. Does that make sense? So in the late 1800s, um, many people were reading the scriptures and saying, wait a second, there's something going on here. Um, Maybe we're, we shouldn't read the scriptures allegorically. Maybe we should read them very closely. Maybe every jot and tittle, in fact, does matter. And so maybe we should pay attention to that. Okay. And if that's the case, then there is a future for Israel. And all of a sudden, that starts to make sense of a lot of New Testament passages. First uh, Peter. Uh, Hebrews, uh, Revelation, uh, the, a bunch of these passages start to make a bunch of sense. Even uh, the Gospels, the, the, uh, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke. 
make a whole lot more sense. Paul's argument in Romans, chapters 2 through chapter 11, most people would say 9 through 11, makes a whole, you cannot make sense of it from a non-millennial perspective. Okay. Because it's talking about the restoration of Israel, breaking off of the natural branches and grafting in the wild olive branches. And if he's able to uh, graft in the wild ones, then he's able to graft back in the natural ones. And thus all Israel shall be saved. I mean, this language is not, it's unmistakable. So, um, um, Dallas Seminary, for example, uh, was uh, started in 1924. So, uh, you'll get uh, early uh, folks who are reading the scriptures and saying, there's something else going on here. There is a future for Israel. Um, C.I. Schofield, Schofield Study Bible, or very early. Um, um, and some of the founders, for example, of Dallas Seminary. Now, Dallas Seminary was started by a bunch of Presbyterians who were amillennialists, who said, I think that there's something else going on here something more, um, that the church has not replaced Israel, uh, that there is a future for Israel, for the nation Israel. Of course, that set the, the discussion as the church versus Israel, okay? But that's really never been how the, the Bible describes the two people groups. It's not the church versus Israel, it is what? Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, okay? The Gentiles have been brought in to God's covenant people, brought into God's covenant community. So, uh, so then the task began to start reading the scriptures closely again, okay? And if- It's a hard position to take telling that Israel wasn't a nation on the map. Oh yeah, how do you, yeah, that- 20, 20 years before. Yeah, I, I tell my students all the time, it's not surprising to me that the church in the, by the third century was reading the Bible allegorically. What is surprising to me is the church in the 19th century began to read the Bible literally. That's the miracle. And, um, and so now we're seeing so much of this uh, play out. Okay. But in the millennial of those churches that were part of that, Well, this is so. So we're. So it's a different than salvation. Well, no, we're, um, that we're, what we're talking about here is just how do they view end times? Okay. okay. Now, how do they view salvation? Um, that that's a whole another uh, discussion and topic, um, and I don't know of the the, the relationship between faith and works or faith and the response to that faith has been a pretty long one. Um, and, and the church has, has tended to put the cart before the horse often um, in, in a couple of ways. So now I'm talking about salvation for just a minute. Uh, what happens is um, the, the, the church says, okay, the Bible says we're supposed to be doing this stuff, so do it. Okay, and if you're not doing it, then you're not saved. Well, um, if, 
if you're saved because you're doing stuff off of the list, anybody can do anything off the list that you create. Uh, well, you got to care for orphans and widows. Okay, well, are there non-believers caring for orphans and widows? Yeah. yeah. So you can go down that whole list, and in, in anything that you list you make, people can do that list without being saved. Then you have to ask about motives and all that. Um, the response or the, the, the correct pattern was to change what we believe, and then you will walk according to that belief. You'll live according to that belief. Um, but the church has been in the, the getting people saved business, and we've quit teaching people the Bible. And so we've got a bunch of believers in the church who don't know what they believe. A bunch of saved people who don't know what they believe or why they believe it. And then we're shocked that they don't know how to live or they live like pagans. Well, of course they do. Teaching the scriptures. Um, and then uh, maybe they'll start to... to um, so so that, that's, a, that's a different different discussion, but just from end times perspective. Okay, so, so let me uh, throw out some passages to you. So... So, um, um, if we're going to read the Bible, see, it's very easy to read the Bible allegorically with a with a system. Okay. But, yeah. Go ahead. For the Catholic Church today, is there official church position on millennials? I don't know that they've got a stated church position, oh, yeah. but that's been the lead. I, they may. I, I don't know. Like, did you hear any of that going on in the Catholic? I didn't hear anything about anything Revelation. Uh, no, I, basically, if you have an all-millennial view, then your basic view of Revel the book of Revelation uh, is good overcomes evil. These details don't matter. They're not really communicating any events. Uh, because <laughs> how could they? Right? It's just Christ returns and, you know, good wins. That's basically it, and it sounds so simplistic, but that that is really what they're what they're saying. Okay, and they argue that, but this is just a uh, an, an allegory, an allegorical book to explain that good wins, God wins, Christ wins. Okay, now if you're going to um, read it literally and carefully. Then we've got 66 books of details. And those 66 books of details, what you find is they all line up and they're consistent um, in their presentation. Okay. So um, uh, so the church age, let's start with the, the church age. So Christ appears and Israel is going to resist um, Isaiah 53. Um, the suffering servant. Okay, all of the suffering servant passages in the uh, in the book of Isaiah, all of these uh, talk about Christ's uh, suffering and death for Israel. Um, uh, Isaiah chapter eight, um, Psalm one eighteen, uh, Isaiah chapter twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. I mean, there, there's so many passages. Uh, Talk about the stumbling block, uh, Israel, uh, a rock to uh, to stumble over, a rock of offense. Um, 
rejecting the chief cornerstone. There's so many passages in the Old Testament that talk about the Christ's rejection by Israel. And in response to that, the gospel going to the Gentiles. This is the church age. But every single prophet that is writing to Israel talks about Israel's future restoration. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah is talking about the judgment upon Eden. Nahum's talking about the judgment upon Nineveh. Jonah, not so much. Hosea, uh, Micah, um, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Malachi, Zechariah, all of them, every single one, as does Moses. Okay, and, and so you struggle. Um, to think that there's no future restoration for the nation of Israel. Um, even the New Testament, Matthew, um, Mark, and Luke all talk about a restoration. Um, Romans, restoration. Galatians, uh, at the end, 616, uh, even uh, Israel of God. Book um, Hebrews, Revelation. So you start to get where does it not talk about a future restoration for the nation of Israel? Okay. So the church age, uh, in this, uh, this judgment, okay, so now we go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. What are those plans? Well, the plans were, 29, 10, was to send Israel into captivity for 70 years. Okay. Jeremiah 29, 10. 70 years. And at the end of that 70 years, Daniel, who is now, remember Daniel 605, he was hauled into captivity. Daniel now prays to the Lord because the 70 years are up. He's reading the book of Daniel. Uh, says, or he's reading the book of Jeremiah. It says that in Daniel chapter 9, 1 and 2. He, he's reading uh, Jeremiah 29, 70 years. Um, and so he prays to the Lord, confesses the sins of the nation, and he hears from uh, this messenger, angel, who says, who pronounces the correct judgment upon Israel because they didn't repent. Seventy-sevens have been decreed for you and for your people. Uh, this is from uh, Leviticus chapter 26. If the Lord judges you, Israel, and you do not repent, then he will judge you sevenfold for yourself. Sevenfold for yourself. Sevenfold for yourself. It says it about six times. And so they didn't repent. And so 70 times 7 have been de decreed for your people. And it gives the details of that. Uh, uh, and that clock is going to start at the issuing of the decree to rebuild the city and to rebuild uh, the nation. I don't know if we lost our people there or not. Is it open already? Okay. Uh, Okay, there we go. Okay, we we tracking so far? I lost my train. Uh, 77s have been decreed for you for your people. Fast forward, fast forward. Uh, issue uh, from the decree, 444 BC uh, is the issuing of the decree to rebuild the city and rebuild the walls. Okay. And um, work has been done 360 uh, day years 
this uh, end of the 69 weeks. So the 70 weeks is broken up into seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one week, or seven sevens, 62 sevens, and one seven-year period. At the end of those 60, uh, seven and 62, at the end of the 69 sevens, 69, uh, corresponds to Christ's triumphal entry to the day. That's not bad. Maybe we ought to read it literally. <coughs> Sounds to me like Daniel's on to something, okay? Um, and then there's this 70th seven, this 70th week, okay? In the future. Now, if the first 69 were that literal, then ought not the 70th be that literal? And this is the tribulation period called the Great Tribulation, okay? Um, so uh, those who read the Bible literally hold to a 70th week of Daniel, um, and that passage is talking about not only in Daniel, uh, this is what uh, Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, what Jesus is talking about, for example, in Matthew chapter 24, abomination and desolation, the 70th week, um, firm covenant, okay, and so the 70th week, and this is chapters, this also corresponds to chapters 4 through chapters 19 of the book of Revelation, okay. In chapters 4 through 19, uh, the, the, uh, John makes three passes through the 70th week. Okay? Uh, in uh, 4 through 10, one pass. Uh, and then at the end of chapter 10, he's told he has to go back and prophesy again. Right? And then he goes back uh, 11 through 16. And then chapters 17 and 18. Okay? Four Consecutive weeks. And then so why the break before 70? The, the break before the 70th week is because then, uh, because, okay, if I understand the question, why the break in between the 69 weeks and the 70th week? Sets of seven. Set, sets of seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's indication of this in uh, chapter 11 of Daniel um, uh, and chapter, chapter 12 of Daniel. Um, and then in chapter 2 of Daniel with the, uh, you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream? In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there's the head, there's the, Head of gold in the chest, and, uh, and and these are the nations, four nations that will come in succession, and then the last nation, uh, there will be it will be like a, a conglomerate, a confederate. It's it's described as clay and iron, ten toes, and the ten nations, okay? and during that time, uh, the people, uh, the God will uh, establish His kingdom. He will start to build the, the kingdom of, uh, of the people. Uh, and that statue is going to be destroyed by the, the, the stone, the rock that is cut from the mountain. Uh, and that kingdom will not be left to another people. Okay? And so there's indication that in between the fourth kingdom, Rome, and this conglomerate, there's going to be this period. Okay? Uh, and also in chapter 9, if you look in chapter 9 of Daniel, um, uh, this is in uh, chapter 9, verse 20, uh, 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That's the, that, so that marks the end of the 62 weeks. I'm in chapter 9, verse 26. The end of the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. This is Christ's crucifixion. Uh, and the people of the prince who is to come, see, it looks forward. The people of the prince who is to come, 
forward looking from the 70th, or from, from Christ being cut off the end of the six and nine weeks, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That was destroyed in 70 AD by Rome. The people, so the people of the prince destroy Rome. Um, uh, and it's and there will be a flood even to the end there will be war and desolations are determined. And uh, in um, and then he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. And so this is the prince who is to come who will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. And so there's no time indication of when that has. In other words, just as the decree begins this this 69 week period, uh, the firm covenant will begin the 70th week, 70th seven. Okay, has that happened yet? I don't know. Anytime Israel makes a covenant, I'm paying attention. Um, last covenant they made was with uh, Trump and uh, all these others. I'm not saying Trump's the Antichrist. I'm just saying any time that Israel makes a covenant, pay attention. Yeah, pay attention. Uh, okay, so so this 70th week, the 70th seven. Uh, so uh, so. Uh, where are we here? So, uh, so the tribulation period. This is the seventieth week. Okay. Uh, now, the the purpose then in a literal reading for the tribulation period is to pronounce judgment upon Israel. These are the sealed judgments in chapter six. We went through to get Israel to repent. Uh, and so, this tribulation period begins with the firm covenant and it ends with the return of Christ. Okay. The mid-trib point is the abomination of desolation. This is where Antichrist enters into the temple that has been built, cuts off covenant, uh, cuts off sacrifices, declares himself to be God, and a lot of things happen right here in a literal reading. Uh, the two witnesses were functioning here in the book of uh, Revelation. This is where the seal judgments are happening. This is where the two witnesses are, are, are the two witnesses are pouring out uh, the seal judgments, pronouncing judgment upon Israel. Okay. These are all prophets. Israel, that, that doesn't take place across the earth. That's in a specific location. The seal judgments are, are, are being poured out in the land upon Israel because they made a covenant with Antichrist. Okay. But has not, well, uh, the focus of Revelation 4 through 19, you're going, well, where's the church? Okay. Now, do you remember back in chapters 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, those were the letters to the seven churches. The language of those, you know, it says those who endure, overcome, you know, will inherit eternal life, will have a stone. You know, there's all these things that these people get. They will be given white robes. Okay? Um, well, you, from chapter 2 and chapter 3, the white robes in the church, those white robes disappear on the earth. And now you see them in chapters 4 through chapter, uh, chapter 19 in heaven around the throne. And then in chapter 19, Returning with Christ. Okay. I think that's the best evidence for a pre-tribulational rapture. Okay. Um, now, the, the rapture is mentioned. The word raptura is Latin, and it comes from uh, Paul's uh, words uh, to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Okay. Uh, we will be caught up. It says all those who will be caught. The word for caught up there 
uh, harpazo in the Greek is raptura in the Latin. That's where we get uh, rap. So, so nobody disagrees that there is a rapture. The question is, when's the time? Okay. Now, uh, God is now pouring out, getting Israel to repent, and then pouring out his wrath upon uh, the nations, let my people go. And so the, the judgments here in the second half of the, uh, uh, of the tribulation correspond to the book of Exodus. There's a lot of similarity between judgments on the plagues of Egypt to let my people go, and here, let my people go. And okay. in uh, now, yeah, no, this is, so the, the kings of the earth are converging upon Israel, let my people go, they flee out in the wilderness, and, and I try to okay. A lot of detail going on here, and that's what we were doing in the book of Revelation, okay? In Babylon, uh, Babylon. Yeah, the, the, yeah, so, so all, the, all the nations, all the nations are being judged, yeah. yeah. And you're going to get the nation's judgment uh, throughout the prophets as well. Okay? So everything all of a sudden is at play in our interpretation. So now Ezekiel 1, 2, 3, 4, 25, 26, they all matter. Okay? Rather than, ah, it's just good, it's been over. Take evil. Now it all matters. Okay? Uh, and it becomes very detailed and very explicit. Um, and I have <laughs> become convinced that... Um, we haven't scratched the surface of how detailed this revelation is. Yeah. Um, so the rapture, uh, so, so then there becomes a question of when's the timing of the rapture? Does it happen here, pre-trib rapture? Uh, now the church goes, I think that's probably the best uh, answer. Uh, some hold that it happens at the mid-trib point here, others at the end, and will return right back down. Among those who hold to a literal interpretation. Okay, now why these? I think that's best supported by the structure of uh, of chapters four through nineteen of Revelation. Okay, so this is a this is a there's a literary answer here. Okay, um, I think there's also a literary answer here for the mid trip. Why do some people hold to the mid trip uh, rapture? It's how they define the restrainer. There is a restrainer that is restraining evil in, uh, that Paul mentions in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, if you identify the restrainer as the Holy Spirit and you equate the rapture with the removal of the Holy Spirit, I think that's flawed logic, but nonetheless, then to be consistent, you would have to hold to a mid-trib rapture. Okay? Heard the psalm uh, say that the uh... God's wrath is specifically poured out of the second half of tribulation. That's why the church is then taken out, not the suffering wrath. I don't believe that. Yeah, yes. So then that's the same thing here, right? The, 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 the wrath of God being being poured out, uh, and God doesn't pour out his wrath on believers, and they would give you many examples of that, rightly, Noah being the first, right? Um, uh, God's discipline, yes. God's wrath, no. Right? Uh, Romans 1, yeah. the wrath of God is real from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness. Man. This is God's wrath is for the disbelievers. Uh, John chapter 3, I mean, you can go to passage after passage where the wrath of God is poured out on those who reject Christ. Um, 
what we talked about when we went through these passages, I, my my sense is that there's too much that uh, if Paul is teaching uh, Daniel nine to twelve um, to the Thessalonians, which he was, doubt about that, um, and that's where he's getting his information. Uh, it doesn't mention the Holy Spirit in there. The one who is restraining Satan throughout this whole story is Michael, the great prince who stands guard over his people. Uh, when the restrainer is removed, uh, Satan is cast down. Do you remember Michael waging war in heaven, cast down at the mid-trip uh, point, uh, and then he goes into the wilderness, and then it's the, the uh, bold judgments, let my people go. Um, am I willing to die for that? No, but I, 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 from the time that Michael the Great Prince shows up in Joshua chapter 5 or, or earlier, maybe it might have even been the angel uh, the burning bush, all the way until Revelation 19, uh, this is Michael's ministry protecting Israel. So are you saying that you don't believe that it's the Holy Spirit throughout through the church that is restraining evil, that you believe it is Michael. Mystery. We're doing a bad job. When we talk about restraining evil, uh, it's talking about being the protector of Israel. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. If the Holy Spirit through the church is restraining evil, last time I checked, ain't nothing changed since well, Cain and Abel. The influence <laughs> of the church or whatever, as opposed to. Uh, I could cite world. many. Uh, Places, even in America, where the church has been the source of evil. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. So so we're. It makes sense because the whole period is specifically aimed at Israel. And yeah. Yeah. So so the and the, remember the, the Holy Spirit cannot be removed. The Holy Spirit wasn't promised to Gentiles. It was promised to Israel. How else will Israel believe if not through the ministry of the Holy Spirit? This is all the prophets. Okay, So now we're going to say that the Holy Spirit is removed and the church is removed, but Israel believes? I'm going, I don't know how. Well, there right? has Just, to be it doesn't a make transformation any, make any sense. of people in the tribulation that become believers. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that would you, you run into some real logical flaws by trying to say that the Holy Spirit is removed. Uh, others will say it's a human government and all that. But anyway, so, but we're getting kind of in, in the depths of these things. Okay. Now, uh, this is Revelation chapter 20. This discussion here of amillennialism, that's Revelation chapter 20. Okay. And it just comes down to does a thousand years mean a thousand years? Is there a reign of Christ on earth, uh, literal reign of Christ on earth, uh, or not? Not a reigning in your heart stuff but a literal reign of Christ on earth. Uh, Christ returns, chapter 19. Satan is bound, chapter 19. Christ reigns for a thousand years. Okay? At the end of that thousand years, there's a great white throne judgment. Uh, those, uh, so you have resurrect, the first resurrection is resurrection of all believers. They reign with Christ for a thousand years. Bodily resurrection, reign with Christ for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, there's the second resur resurrection. It's the resurrection of non-believers. Okay? 
uh, and this is the white throne judgment, and they are judged according to their deeds. Since they have rejected Christ's payment on their behalf, they've rejected Christ's deeds done on their behalf, they will be judged by their own deeds. And they will undergo the second death. Um, then the new heavens and new earth. And so what, um, what we teach here and what we teach at seminary, and I think what, uh, and it really comes down to, do you, are you trying to read the scriptures carefully and literally, or are you reading them allegorically? And it's really that simple. Okay. If you're reading them allegorically, uh, then you will be a, you know, a non-millennialist. Okay. Your theology will drive the boat, so to speak. Drive your interpretation or your understanding. In my mind, that's that's kind of a pre. That's a that's a that's a strike before you you know before you even start to read. It's a preemptive strike on the text. Here's my theology. Let me go find it. Now we do the same thing. You do it all the time. Here's my theology. Let me go find a verse for what it, you know that I like. Oh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a you know future no. I have a little slide, a PowerPoint slide that says, I know the plans you have for this verse, plans that do not contain the air, do not uh, pay attention to context. You know? um, so we're all doing it. You're just going through there and you're finding verses you like and underline. Um, and so that's a, that's a preemptive strike. And then you say, well, this is hard to understand because it doesn't make any sense with the verse before it and the verse after it. Well, no kidding. That's not what it's saying. <laughs> right? You either do that through your theology or you do that through your application. Right? You're finding some application verse that you know you're underlining but it doesn't make it's so far out of context it doesn't make any sense and i find it hilarious that somehow we're offended uh, when um, when presidential candidates do that but we do it every day all day every time you open the scriptures right is that fair you can't just not to. go quote somebody out of context and make them say whatever you want you know, well, Paul said, Paul's overgrown. Hey, well, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say anything like that. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? So we want to read in context. Okay? I don't know how you get your theology if not from reading in context. Even, if, you know, the Amil guys, you got, you, got to read, you got to read it somehow to get something out of there so you can turn it back on the text. Okay? So if we don't get our theology from the text, then how do we, what, what are we reading into the text? That we're calling theology. Where'd you get that? That almost like where you're kind of allegorizing something that if you read it literally. No, it's. I think that we have gone so far down this trail of not reading the scriptures in the church, believers not reading the scriptures, that now we don't even know how to. We can't. Every single verse you've heard. Somebody write some Bible study on it about how you can slay your giants of smoking and drinking or going to the bar or whatever. Samuel's over there going, really? That's what I was talking about with David and Goliath? You over there going to the bar? You know, slaying your desire to go to the bar? No, that wasn't what I was talking about at all. See, but we, we've done this so for so long, and you've heard so many sermons and so many Bible teachers, so many allegorizations or theology, you know, theological interpretations we don't, you know, I don't even have that. Don't well, we, don't, we don't use uh, Judah uh, in camera. Well, you only, yeah, you only right. pick the ones you like. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, uh, yeah, you know, it's like uh, you see some, something you like, and you go, oh, yeah, that's me. That's for us. That's for us. And, you're like, uh, and I will, uh, you know, let me show you some verses that you will, that I don't hear anyone. Everybody's claiming the blessings, right? Oh, the blessings, the blessings, the blessings. You know, oh, you're going to be blessed when you come and blessed when you go and blessing this, blessing that. I'm going, oh, that's great. Well, see, that's all in 28, 1 through, uh, 1 through 14. I don't hear anybody quoting any verses out of 15 through 68, you know, um, um, Every sickness is in every plague which is not written on this book, the Lord will bring about you until you are destroyed. <laughs> There's my life verse. <laughs> Whereas you be le- you will be left uh, just as you were as the stars of the heaven, uh, but because you didn't obey the Lord, so uh, the Lord will delight over you to make you vanish, make you perish from the end. I don't think anybody quote that verse. Uh, uh, there's worse. Yeah, yeah, there's right. Yeah. Uh, I, here's one. The, the, you, know, you get some pretty bad ones, right? Uh, the man who is refined and very delicate among you shall be hostile towards his brother and towards his wife he cherishes and towards the rest of his children who remain so that uh, he will be... Uh, now, this is, gets pretty graphic, but I'm going to read it anyway because I don't hear anybody quoting this one. Uh, and he will not give one of them any of the flesh uh, of their children which he shall eat since he has nothing else left. Oh yeah, I'm going to claim the uh, eating the flesh of your children verse, or the, the the women eating their afterbirth verse. I mean, what are we talking about here? Nobody claiming those verses. This is Jericho. This is uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Yeah, if you want to hear read misery, it's 28, 15 through 68, or Leviticus uh, 26, uh, 14 through 46. If they're disobedient. And it happened. Read Lamentations. They were doing it. It was. It got ugly, right? I don't want any. Excuse me. I don't want any part of that. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll leave the uh, the little blessings and the little curses, and uh, and we'll just go with faith in Christ. Right? But um, uh, but my point is that we're going through there, and you're picking verses you like, and you're not picking the one right beside it because you don't like. It, right? I'm saying you can't do that. Not allowed, okay? Not allowed, right? All right, let's make sure we go. So uh, so the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, what's the judgment seat of Christ? If you look at Daniel chapter 12, um, it talks about this first three and a half years and the second three and a half years. The second three and a half years from the abomination of desolation until the end, it's going to take endurance to get there, Mr. Israelite, okay? Um, so it's uh, 1,290 days. Blessed is he who endures for the 1,335 days. So there's actually 45 days extra here on the end of this, which uh, is probably the administration. It's the setting up of the kingdom. Uh, and this is the judgment seat of Christ happens here. Before the thousand-year reign of Christ, administration of Christ's reign upon the earth. And then at the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan is loosed for a time. He is ultimately destroyed. Uh, second resurrection, all of the unbelievers, they are judged according to their deeds, and they are cast into the eternal fall forever, second death. Okay? Um, okay, so premillennialism says that, there, that we are in the church age before the millennial reign of Christ. Amillennialism says there is no reign of Christ on earth. He's reigning now in the hearts of people, something like that. 
post-millennialism uh, says that also says doesn't say that there's not a millennial reign. It says we're in it now. And the world, this was the predominant view before the early 1900s, okay? Uh, post, basically, uh, the, 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 the gospel's going out, the world's getting better, uh, everybody's coming to Jesus, and it's going to get so good, and then in the end, Christ is going to return. Okay? Um, you know, technology's getting better, uh, humanity's getting better, and then unsinkable ships start to sink, and World War One. And if that left any doubt, World War Two, and uh, post-millennialism is pretty well dead today. Nobody's thinking it's getting better. Anybody in here thinking the world's getting better? Hey, it's just getting better. Everything's getting better. Right? Very Americanized, um, world's getting better place. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after time. Pre-mill, pre-trib, uh, mid-trib, post-trib. Everybody good? All the categories making sense. So it comes down to how carefully are you going to read the scriptures? Okay. Um, and that means there's 39 books in the Old Testament uh, that actually matter. I have found that there is almost nothing new in the New Testament. Um, I haven't found rapture in the Old Testament. That's about it. The details of Revelation. Well, no, yeah, but but how, yeah, how it's going to, but as far as what's going to happen, it's all there. The the uh, no the the. The, I think most go to uh, Ephesians 3 for the mystery, uh, but I think he defines it in Romans 11, 25. Uh, that a partial hardening of Israel has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay. So um, that the Gentiles were going to be brought in, that was crystal clear. From in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the nations will be blessed. In, in chapter 12 of, of Genesis, uh, God's promise to Abraham. From then on, it's clear. The question is how? Uh, and um, through Israel's rejection, the remnant takes the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, I would also say this. Uh, even that was not unrevealed. Uh, look at, uh, look at uh, the end of Romans. Let me show you two passages. Uh, in Romans uh, chapter uh, um, look at Romans chapter 16 very end of his book uh, verse 25 now according uh, to him who is able to establish you in my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but has now been manifested or revealed by the uh, scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the eternal God, uh, has been made known to all of the nations. It's kind of choppy how it's written in uh, New American Standard. Basically, here's what he's saying. Uh, that, the, that the mystery of the gospel was not made known to the nations in the Old Testament. Now it has. 
not that it wasn't revealed to the nation, revealed to Israel in the Old Testament. It was there. He says, um, uh, by the scripture of the prophets. They didn't believe it. Uh, Israel didn't take it out to the uh, to the Gentiles. Uh, look out. Look over to uh, turn uh, forward to Ephesians chapter three. He, he says actually uh, the same thing in Ephesians chapter uh, three. Uh, Paul's talking about this mystery uh, that uh, has been uh, given to him. Verse chapter 3, verse 4, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. Do you see that, sons of men? That's Gentiles. Whenever you see sons of men, that's Gentiles. It's consistent throughout the whole Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. As it has now been revealed uh, to his holy apostles and the prophets in the Spirit that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers. So in other words, this message was not proclaimed throughout the nations in the Old Testament. Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches a sermon, they repent, that's about it. That's about as much as you get preaching among the Gentiles in the Old Testament. Right? Uh, but it was because of Israel's rejection, the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and that's what's happening. Here. Does that make sense? So I don't see a whole lot of new stuff. Um, I see a lot of things I didn't see in the Old Testament. And then you go over there and you read the apostles, and you go, that's not what that says. And you go back and read it, and you go, huh, that is what that says. So much for my Old Testament PhD. I didn't count them all. <laughs> just read it. Uh, you just go uh, go read it, and then they'll help, they'll help you out. Is it making sense? Okay. All right. So... Where do we go from here is the question. Um, we had talked about going through Revelation, doing this, go back through Revelation. Or do we go anywhere you go in this 66 books, it's the same story. You're going to get details in the story. So that's the question for next week. Where do we want to go? Book of Daniel. Everybody good with that? We use Daniel, Revelation. Okay, Daniel. Let me. Okay, so let's talk about Daniel for just a uh, one minute. One minute. Uh, Daniel is twelve chapters. Okay. Uh, Daniel is twelve chapters. There's a vision, chapter two, and vision, chapter uh, uh, dream and two, dream and eleven, uh, seven, two and seven. Okay. Um, let me show you how you cheat in all narrative literature, in stories. You go to the end of the scene. Read the end of the scene. When you're watching a, a movie, the point of the scene is at the end of the scene. Okay? If it had already been made in the scene, then you'd have to ask, excuse me, but um, why are we still filming this? Right? If it hasn't been made yet, then the scene's not over. With me? And so chapter one, go to the end of chapter one. Go to the end of chapter two, go to the end of chapter three and read what's going on. Go to the end of each section and read what's going on there. They'll help you. All right? It'll become real clear. And then we'll talk about that next week. We're doing Revelation. So read chapters one through uh, 12, and, uh, and we'll talk about Daniel uh, one through 12, and, uh, and we'll talk about that next week. Good? Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for our time. <laughs> we do lift up Tim to you. 
be with him, be with the doctors as they uh, try to figure out what's going on there. And uh, we thank you that you love us. And I pray that uh, keep us safe. Bring us back here next week in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. See you all next week.